Hello everyone, this is Bhavik Choksi here and welcome to the Refresher series. Today we discuss about financial instruments that is covered by Indus 32, 107 and 109, arguably the most important part of financial instruments. Now Indus 32 over here covers the definitions, 109 the accounting and 107 the disclosures. A financial instrument is a contract which creates a financial asset for one entity and financial liability or equity for another. The definition for financial asset includes cash or equity instrument of another entity or an instrument where there is a contractual right to receive cash or another financial asset. Now this is a very wide heading with items like debtors, uh, your uh, loans, debentures, everything getting covered over here. Even items where you can exchange financial instrument at potentially favorable terms like option holders will be covered. Going on to the financial liabilities, there is one more thing remaining in financial assets but going on to financial liability, the opposite applies that is a contractual obligation to deliver cash like creditors, outstanding expenses, debentures, loans taken etc. will be falling under financial liabilities and if you are exchanging financial instruments at potentially unfavorable terms that will also cover like option writers. Apart from that, if the settlement is happening in own equity instruments, if it happens for a fixed number of own equity instruments or at a fixed price, then it is classified as equity. However, if there is any variability involved and we have to deliver these financial instruments, then it is financial liability. If we are going to receive our own equity instruments, it is a financial asset. This is loosely referred to as a fixed for fixed test where if the number and slash or the price is fixed then we treat it as equity if both of them are fixed if any of them is variable it is treated as a financial liability or financial asset this is because variability probably reduces the risk and as a result we are trying to say that the holder is not really an equity holder if they are not bearing the full risk how is equity defined? Equity is defined as any instrument which evidences residual interest. So whatever is left over after discharging all the liabilities is attributable to equity. A few special cases need to be considered like uh, when we look at income tax, it is not a financial liability because it is a statutory obligation. Guarantees, product guarantees are not financial liabilities because they have an obligation to repair or replace, not to deliver cash. Even constructive obligations are not contractual and hence they are not financial items. Uh, items like unearned revenue have an obligation to deliver the service, not cash and hence not the financial item. So is the case with advance for machinery where you have a contractual right to receive the machinery, not cash. Something that you need to very carefully analyze is the preference shares, debentures issued on whether they are financial liabilities, equity or a compound financial instrument for which three main features need to be looked at. First, the distribution feature that is if the distribution is mandatory, it is liability feature. If it is discretionary, it is equity feature. Second is the redemption, if any. If it is redeemable, then it is a liability feature. If it is irredeemable or perpetual, it has an equity feature. And if there is a conversion feature, then we need to see if the conversion is satisfying the fixed for fixed test. If it does, and if there is a compulsory conversion, then that is an equity feature for the principal. But if it, there is an optional conversion, then you still have an obligation to deliver cash. At the same time, there's an option where the settlement can happen in non-equity instruments and hence it is a financial liability with an embedded derivative. In case there are commodity derivatives, 
then commodity derivatives if they are gross settled then own use exception applies we assume that these are commodities where physical delivery is going to be taken and hence these are executory contracts will not be covered under indas 109 however if it is net settled the settlement happens in net cash in which case we can cover it under indas 109 for other derivatives like equity bond or currency derivatives whether gross or net settlement happens you have a contractual right to receive cash or a contractual obligation to deliver cash or another financial asset and hence they will always be financial instruments irrespective of the gross or net settlement feature the usual classification applies for financial instruments the only exception over here is if there are putable instruments like instruments of open ended mutual funds or instruments of a limited life entity like a limited life joint venture then subjected to certain conditions they will be treated as equity even if they are putable that is they have an obligation to deliver cash provided certain stringent conditions for classifying as equity are met the second part of the standard deals with classification financial assets have three sub categories that is amortized cost or feoci or fetpl financial liabilities have two sub categories that is financial uh, fetpl or amortized cost and equity has no separate sub classification it is at fair value at initial recognition when we look at financial assets the strictest legal definition is that if there are instruments where the contractual cash flows are in the nature of principal and interest only and these instruments are held in the business model of collecting contractual cash flows then the classification is amortized cost simply stated these are debt instruments which are intended to be held up to maturity will be under amortized cost second under feoci these are again instruments where contractual cash flows are in the nature of principal and interest plus business model is collecting and selling both simplistically stated these are debt instruments where the intention is to sell before maturity which can be under feoci ideally everything else that is left over will be under the fair value through profit and loss category specifically derivatives held for trading items and items which are to be designated at fetpl in order to prevent accounting mismatch will always be fetpl items however items like equity shares which by default will fall fall under fetpl there is a one time irrevocable choice at the time of each purchase to show it under the feoci heading so this is about the main classification of financial assets the test that you need to look at at the time of classification will be the ccfc test that is uh, does the contractual cash flows meet the requirement of a basic lending arrangement that is compensation for time that is inflation compensation for credit risk and a reasonable profit margin if there's any other compensation like if it's a gold index bond it is not meeting the ccfc test once the ccfc test is passed we can then go to the business model test if the ccfc test fails the classification by default is fetpl if the ccfc test passes we can go to business model test that is the manner in which these financial instruments are managed by the entity if they are managed in the business model of only collecting then it is amortized cost if they are managed in the business model of collecting and selling it is feoci then you go to the heart of the standard which involves accounting for financial assets the accounting at the time of initial recognition for all the three sub categories will be at fair value typically the initial recognition happens at cost if the transaction happens at fair terms at market terms the transaction price that is the cost is the fair value 
However, the transaction happens off market. That is maybe at a concessional rate because of the employer-employee relationship or the parent-subsidiary relationship. Then you will have to determine the fair value at initial recognition, which is usually the present value of future cash flows discounted at the market rate of interest. Had there been a fair transaction, that will help you to find the fair value. Difference between the fair value and the transaction price, if any, will be accounted for as per the nature of the transaction. Like if it is employer-employee, then it is. Let's say prepaid staff welfare. If it is landlord-tenant, then it is probably right of use asset. If it is parent to subsidiary, it is investment. If it is subsidiary to parent, it may be dividend, and so on. So this is something which is very important. Apart from that, what do you do with transaction cost? Well, the general rule is if it is transaction cost for amortized cost or FEOCI items, you will add it. But if it is transaction cost for FETPL, you will take it to the P&L. Subsequent recognition, as the name goes, for amortized cost will be at cost which is amortized using effective interest method. If it is FETPL or FEOCI, subsequent recognition is at fair value. Now, this is something which is significant. It is not just cost or fair value, whichever is lower, it is fair value. And hence, if the fair value increases, you will still consider that. But if the fair value increases or if the fair value decreases, where is the second effect going? Well, it depends. If it is FEOCI, the second effect goes in the fair value reserve as a part of OCI. If it is FETPL, the second effect goes to the profit and loss allowance. Within FEOCI, if it is FEOCI debt, it goes into the reclassifiable OCI that is on happening of certain events like a sale, the balance in the OCI will be transferred directly to the profit and loss. Whereas FEOCI equity instruments will be classified as non-reclassifiable. That means on happening of certain events like a sale, the balance in the OCI will be transferred directly to the return earnings. Interest or dividend will always go to the PNL, even if it is FEOCI, it is fair value through OCI, not income through OCI. So these items will go through the PNL only. Just that in case of amortized cost or in case of FEOCI items, you will recognize it at the effective interest. Uh, in other cases, you, you can directly recognize it at coupon interest. The effective interest method is something that you should deeply study over here. Uh, in case of effective interest method, you will try to calculate the actual return uh, that you will get on, let us say, a bond investment, which is like the IRR, internal rate of return or yield to maturity. It is usually given to in the question, but if not given, you can calculate it using the trial and error method. When we look at the effective interest method, the effective interest that goes in the PNL is the opening balance into the effective interest rate. Whereas the closing balance, that is the amortized cost, will be the opening balance plus the effective interest less the coupon will give you the closing balance. A few special cases over here can be if there is loan at off-market terms and there is a part prepayment. In such cases, you will have to first find the carrying value on the date of part payment. Calculate the revised carrying value based on the present value of the remaining cash flows and the difference between the two will be the reduction in the loan balance. Once you find a reduction in the loan balance, maybe the reduction in loan balance is 1,70,000 and you are prepaying 2 lakhs, then the difference that is 30,000 is a reduction in the prepaid employee benefit expense. If it is employer-employee because now a proportionately lower benefit will be attributable to the employees. Moving from financial assets to financial liabilities. Financial liabilities, there are six items which will go under FETPL. That is derivatives, held for trading items, liabilities in order to prevent an accounting mismatch, financial guarantees, contingent consideration and continuing involvement items. 
everything else that is creditors loans etc will go under the amortized cost classification under the accounting the accounting is going to be similar if it is amortized cost you will again start at fair value which is usually the transaction price but if no transaction price is available then uh, uh, the present value future cash flows however the transaction cost over here will be subtracted because transaction cost has a debit balance liability has a credit balance so transaction cost will be subtracted in such cases in fedpl items you will recognize initially at fair value transaction cost over here goes to the pnl account subsequent recognition for amortized cost will be at amortized cost fedpl will be at the uh, fair value the difference going to the profit and loss account special cases also involve loans which are repayable on demand in which case the fair value is assumed to be the same as transaction price loans repayable after completion of a project then you try to estimate the tenure of the project and based on that determine the fair value in case there are off market transactions you will have to look at the nature of the transaction and accordingly try to determine why the transaction is happening off market and do the accounting accordingly at the end you look at equity and equity will be determined at the fair value at the transaction date it will not subsequently be remeasured when you look at the transaction cost well transaction cost for all the three categories of financial instruments typically for financial assets you add the transaction cost except it is fedpl you take it to the pnl for financial liabilities you deduct the transaction cost except if it is fedpl you take it to pnl in case of equity if it's a fresh issue you deduct the transaction cost from the equity balance if it is uh, for existing items you take it to the pnl directly reclassification is considered to be extremely rare for financial assets and can be done only if there is a change in the business model for financial liabilities reclassification is prohibited for equity there's a single heading and hence reclassification cannot happen next moving on to compound financial instruments this is again something which is extremely important in the books of the issuer a compound financial instrument like a convertible bond can have equity as well as liability features so the accounting over here will be considering the liability and equity separately and hence you will have to do split accounting you will have to measure the liability which can be done as a present value of future cash flows which are in the nature of liability discounted at the market rate of interest for a similar non convertible debenture that will help you to find the liability component the interest typically is in the nature of liability however principal depends on whether it is compulsorily convertible then there is no obligation should not be a part of liability working but if it is optionally convertible then there is a chance that you will have to pay and as a result it should be a part of the liability working as well the equity balance will be taken as the balancing figure that is the issue proceeds minus the liability component will be the equity balance the equity balance will not be restated further whereas the liability balance will be accounted for using the amortized cost method at each subsequent date you will try to calculate the effective interest as the opening balance of the liability into the effective interest rate that will be interest expense account debit to liability component coupon once paid will reduce the liability component and hence liability component account debit to bank remember equity component is not remeasured will continue to remain the same at the final maturity if it is compulsorily convertible instrument then the liability component will become zero equity component which is remaining will be debited and to share capital or premium will be credited however if it is optionally convertible then the liability component will move up towards the redemption value and if a redemption option is taken then the entry will be liability component account debit to bank if redemption is not done instead conversion is done uh, your entry will be liability component account debit equity component account debit to share capital and premium if the balance continues to remain in case of equity component in case of redemption then the balance in the equity component will be transferred directly to 
the retained earnings because it is an owner to owner transaction in rare cases in case of cfi if there's a transaction cost you will allocate the transaction cost both to the liability and equity component and reduce it from the respective balances of their liability and equity components again a special case involving early redemption if there's an early redemption remember the fact that it is early redeemable it means it is redeemable in the first place and hence an item which is early redeemable is an optionally convertible instrument generally in order to correctly calculate the gain or loss on the liability component which will go to the pnl and the equity component which will go to the retained earnings you will try to segregate the early redemption price between the liability and the equity component the balance in the liability component will be the present value of the remaining cash flows on the date of early redemption discounted at the market rate of interest on the date of early redemption for equity the amount will still be the balancing figure considering this you can try to find the gain or loss on the liability as well as the equity component liability component gain or loss goes to the pnl equity component goes to the retained earnings next if there are any callable or puttable instruments if it is callable instrument usually that is adverse to the holder and as a result you will reduce it from the liability component balance if the fair value is given if it is a puttable instrument it is favorable to the holder and as a result you will add it to the uh, liability component balance if such a data is available now this usually ends at this stage the important part of the standard ends however there is still uh, meaningful parts remaining in the standard uh, but they are relatively lesser important from an exam standpoint so we go to derivatives uh, well derivatives derive their value from an underlying item second they are settled at a future date third they involve nil or insignificant amount with to be paid at initial recognition derivative financial asset or financial liability will be accounted always under fetpl unless such accounting applies whereas if it is a derivative equity instrument then the value will be determined at initial recognition and there will be no subsequent remeasurement in certain cases the derivatives are embedded that is they are inbuilt stitched into a host contract in such cases should you separate the two and record well it depends if the host contract is a financial asset like a convertible bond that you have purchased then no separation is required you will show the entire bond as a single line item probably using fetpl however if the host contract is a financial liability or equity or a non financial item like if it's a convertible bond that is issued where the host contract is a bond issued that is a liability in which case separation will have to be done in case the host contract that is the bond and the embedded derivative that is option to convert are not closely related which as a matter of fact they are not like the bond is affected by interest rates whereas the equity component is affected by the price performance etc secondly the derivative on a standalone basis meets the definition of derivative and it is not designated as fetpl at this stage a lot of students get confused that is the cfi an embedded derivative or is the cfi uh, uh, to be accounted separately remember cfi is just an example of embedded derivatives it is also an embedded derivative and the separation principles here also mention that you will first try to find the value of the liability component basically that is more reliable and the balance over here will be the equity component two special cases are given for embedded derivatives first being loan with prepayment options in which case you will find the fair value of the loan without any prepayment option try to find the amortized cost table compare it with the prepayment price and try to find the difference at each prepayment date if the differences are approximately equal 
then no separation is required because they are assumed to be closely related. But if difference on any one of the dates is not approximately equal, I mean, the threshold has not been defined, but probably you can take 2% as the threshold, in which case you will consider it to be a, a, a candidate for separation and you will show the loan separately and the derivative for prepayment separately. A second case for this would be foreign currency derivatives which is embedded in a purchase or a sale contract in which case you will actually have to first diagrammatically represent the transaction then figure out if you are doing a for a sale of goods then what will be the value that you will get in the Indian currency let us say in rupees at the forward rate what will be the dollars that you are receiving so that is treated as a forward buy for which you will have to pay in rupees and hence you will separate the transaction into two parts the sale in rupees will be shown at uh, per India's 115 on the date when control is transferred. On the other hand, the derivative will be accounted for using FVTPL. Remember, this separation is to be done only if there is no close relation. The standard assumes that there will be a close relation if the contract is denominated in the currencies of the parties to the contract or the currencies which are used in the primary economic environment of the parties or even if it is in the currency which is commonly denominated for these corresponding products. Once if one if any of these are met then no separation is to be done you will directly record as per index 115 and index 21 on the date when the sale happens. Next, you proceed on to derecognition of financial assets. Usually, financial assets are derecognized at the time of sale. That is the date when the control is transferred. However, in special cases like bills discounted or factoring, which is a recourse-based factoring, or if it is a sale along with the repurchase, in all of these cases, the control of the goods does not get transferred and hence we do not recognize them as sale. Instead, we recognize them as a loan transaction with the security being the bill or the debtor or let us say the security being sold. So this is not recorded as a sale transaction but a loan transaction in certain cases. However, if it is a re non recourse factoring, then it is a sale with the gain or loss going to the PNL. If it is a sale and repurchase where the repurchase is happening at the fair value, it is considered to be uh, a sale. A special feature over here is also on uh, securitization transactions where you convert the loan that you have into securities where you promise to pass through the cash flows that are collected to the security holders in which case whatever you have collected is going to be passed on without any material delay and you don't have a right to sell transfer or pledge these securities then we consider that you should derecognize the loan to the extent you have transferred it because you don't retain control over the assets so this by and large takes care of the derecognition of financial assets. Moving on to derecognition of financial liabilities, modification account. Usually financial liabilities are derecognized once they are discharged, that is they are paid. A special case over here is if there's a significant renegotiation or modification. How will you account for this? Well, if the modification is substantial, that is the difference between the present value of modified cash flows at the original EIR, and the current carrying value is greater than 10% positive or negative in which case a modification is substantial in which case extinguishment accounting will apply that is you will derecognize the old loan create a new loan at the present value of the modified cash flows at the new EIR and the balancing figure will be shown as the gain or loss on extinguishment on the other hand if the gap after the modification is less than 10% in which case it is not a substantial modification in which case no separate guidance is given 
then as per ICI, you can follow modification accounting. That is, you can either keep the carrying value to be the same and adjust the EIR or keep the EIR to be the same and adjust the carrying value. Adjusting the carrying value is typically slightly more easier. Next, there can also be debt for equity swap, in which case you are swapping the loan that you have taken for your equity, in which case the proportionate loan will be debited, equity that you are issuing will be credited and the gain or loss will go to the profit and loss account. For the remaining amount that continues, you will again apply the modification or extinguishment accounting as the case may be. Next, we move on to impairment. Usually, impairment is done for financial assets where there are contractually agreed cash flows and hence there is no impairment recorded for items like investment in equity shares where there are no contractually agreed cash flows. Secondly, impairment is done only for those assets which are under FEOCI or under amortized costs because if assets are under FEDPL, they are automatically impaired, they are shown at fair value and gain or loss in the PNL. Impairment is recorded by comparing the present value of the cash flows which are contractually agreed with the present value of the expected cash flows in the arrangement. Again, impairment is to be done uh, usually when there are indicators which are existing. However, there is also an expected credit loss or ECL model where you will try to find the expected credit loss on a particular type of financial asset and try to create a provision at each balance sheet date starting from initial recognition. The ECL provision can be measured by different methods like the loss rate method or the probability of default method or by uh, looking at the debtor's aging schedule. The standard gives you guidance where they divide the financial assets into three categories where stage one there's no change in credit risk where you can look at just the next 12 months probability of default stage two where there's an increase in credit risk where you can look at the lifetime probability of default and stage three when there is an actual impairment where you look at the lifetime probability of default for the provision and recognize interest only considering the net amount after considering the provision Next, there is a special case for financial guarantee, which is to be accounted for using FETPL. Financial guarantee should initially be recognized at fair value, that is the present value of the interest savings that can be obtained by taking the guarantee or the loss allowance, whichever is higher. Again, you will keep on remeasuring the financial guarantee at the fair value at each balance sheet date with the difference going into the profit and loss account. A special sum has been done on this. You can refer even YouTube for this uh, for a detailed guidance. The last part of this chapter involves hedge accounting. This is optional, voluntary in nature. Which entities can take the benefit of hedge accounting? Well, if these entities have a designated hedged item, like an investment in bond, a designated hedging instrument, like let us say a forward contract taken, and an economic relationship between the two and a risk management policy in place. If all of these are in place, then you can take the benefits of hedge accounting. And if you take the benefits of hedge accounting, you'll have to classify the hedge into one of the three categories. That is, it can be either a fair value hedge, that is a hedge to protect the balance sheet value, or a cash flow hedge, which is a hedge to protect the cash flows like interest, or a hedge for net investment in a foreign operation. If it is a fair value hedge, then the gain or loss on both the hedged item as well as the hedging instrument should go to the PNL. In certain cases, the gain or loss on the hedged item may be going into the OCI, then if hedge accounting is followed, it has to go to the PNL. This will apply in all cases except for investment in equity shares, in which case if they are shown as FE OCI, then the gain or loss on the hedged item as well as the hedging instrument goes into the OCI. Lastly, if it is a cash flow hedge, then you will try to match the cash flow and 
the gain or loss on the hedge so if it is a hedge to protect the interest and interest is arising after two years then till the two years the gain or loss on the derivative will be kept into a separate hedging reserve as a part of oci and after two years when the interest actually goes to the pnl then the gain or loss on the hedging instrument will also go to the pnl lastly if it is a net investment in a foreign operation then the gain or loss goes to the FCTR, which is a part of OCI. You will do the accounting similar to cash flow hedge and the gain or loss on the derivative product will also be under the OCI till the time the foreign operation is sold, in which case FCTR goes to PNL and the gain or loss on the derivative also will go to the PNL at this stage. So this largely takes care of the section on financial instruments. It's a very important section. Uh, especially loans at off-market rates and compound financial instruments being the most important, followed by derivatives and the recognition of financial liabilities. I hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, please do share with your friends if you think this was helpful. Let me know your comments as well. Wish you all the very best. Good luck. Bye-bye. Take care.